0: What's up, everybody? I'm Ken Crump. This is the Mainstream Evangelical Broadcast. Today, we're going to continue our series on just the stuff that Jesus said, and we're currently in the Sermon on the Mount. And today is episode three. We're going to talk about the law, anger, lust, adultery, and divorce. So first of all, let's let's start with Matthew 5 and 17 through 20. This is about Jesus' fulfillment of the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, understanding the relationship between the Old Testament law and the New Testament is probably one of the greatest challenges to Christians. Um, a lot of the misunderstanding and misrepresentation, sometimes it's by Christians themselves that are uh, misrepresenting the Old Testament and how it relates to the New Testament and how we're, we're, we're to follow God's laws. You know, a lot of the people that complain about Christianity, they're quoting stuff that's like 3,400 years old. You know, they're, they're going back to the Old Testament, they're going back to a lot of that stuff, things that Christians don't even uh, follow at this point in time. Um, Let's look at what Jesus was saying here more specifically, though. He said, number one, his purpose was not to abolish the law. He said, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Uh, There there were certain types of religious leaders during Jesus' time. Uh, There were the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, They had correct theology but were legalistic and had a narrow interpretation and application of Scripture. They had additional regulations that have little or no basis in the Torah. Uh, That doesn't mean that all Pharisees were bad. Some of them were were good. Some of them had a a healthier understanding of, of the Scripture at that time. But then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees believed in the Torah, but questioned the concept of reward and punishment in the afterlife, denied the resurrection, and were somewhat aloof. So by the time Jesus came, the Torah and the prophets had been so distorted by these two groups of people that it seemed like Jesus was teaching something other than the law. It seemed like he was telling people uh, to abandon the law. But the reality of what Jesus was doing, he was correcting the bad theology of the Jewish leaders. He spent a lot of time saying, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, in other words, this is the stuff you're being taught, but let me help you bring it into balance. So you have a similar kind of situation as we do today. You have people on the far right that take that have right theology in its core, but then turn it into something else. They twist it or they are overly legalistic with it. Um, and then you have people on the left that have abandoned sound doctrine. And begin to promote ideas that are, are, are really not taught in Scripture at all. So you have the same thing. And that's what Jesus did. He, he went and went right down the middle and taught a balanced view of, of Scripture and helped bring things back into order. That's why you see him getting attacked from both sides sometimes. Number two, he said, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So, number two, he came to fulfill the law. The law consisted of three parts. There was the Jewish Civil Law, which were specific regulations for governing the Jewish people. It consisted of laws for settling disputes, marriage, divorce, health and safety, and penalties for breaking these laws. These laws were only for the nation of Israel from the time of Moses until Jesus, and any effort to apply these regulations to non-Jewish people or New Testament Christians is mistaken. Paul spent a lot of his time dealing with the Judaizers, or people that tried to bring uh, Jewish Christians back under the law. Then there was the Jewish ceremonial law. Uh, Most of these were prophetic in nature and were fulfilled in Christ. Some say there are still some to be fulfilled, uh, and I think that's probably true. But most of them were fulfilled in Christ. Uh, And then there was the Jewish moral law. The moral law of the Torah remains the same. However, the manner in which it is applied has changed since the death and resurrection of Christ. What was a sin in the Old Testament is still a sin in the New Testament. Uh, The civil law has always been intended to be temporary. The ceremonial law was fulfilled in Christ, and the moral law remains, but the Old Testament penalties are no longer enforced. So that's what Jesus meant by that. Uh, much of the criticism levied against the church today is when people try to apply the Old Testament law to today. And it doesn't help when you have Christians that actually do this. The purpose of the law was to teach us that we are unable to keep it. It is and always has been God's intention that we follow Him because we want to, not because we have to. Christianity is a faith-based love relationship with a living being we call God. And when people naturally do the right thing, there is no need for the law. You know, if you're going to, if you live your life, you follow the rules, you go to work, you make money, you 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 pay for a a house, or you or you pay rent, you buy food, you do all these things. You 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 have your car registered correctly. You uh, you know, you do all these things. There's laws out there, but if you're just naturally doing them, the law is irrelevant to you because you're following it. You know, and that's kind of like it is in the Bible. God wants us to have these laws written in our heart, not on a, you know, not on a rock, not in a stone, not like the Ten Commandments. He wants us to do these things because we know this is the right thing to do, and we love God, and we want to please God, not to earn our salvation. Just because that's God's love language. Our obedience is basically God's love language, and how we demonstrate uh, that His Spirit is in us, that we are born again, is by obeying His word. Uh, Third, he said, everything in the law will come to pass. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what Jesus did and taught was exactly what was intended in the law and the prophets. In Luke 24, 44 through 47, Jesus said this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations from Jerusalem. So there are still some things to be fulfilled, um, but and the proclaiming of his name to all nations is what's being fulfilled. But all of this, Uh, is to, you know, everything that was in the Scripture, everything that's in the Old Testament was about Jesus and about His mission and what He did and what He continues to do. Number four, the word is not to be deluded. He said, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. To relax means to loosen, annul, or untie, and the least means to be small or weak. So whoever, just even what would seem like the most insignificant thing, if you go against that, Jesus is saying, that's wrong. That's a sin. That's something that that I'm not here to do. In other words, we don't get to cherry pick the Bible. It says what it says. If we try to, quote unquote, improve it or change it to fit into our current cultural norms, we are out of the will of God. And you find that on the far left. You find that with people um, that a lot of people within the dis- deconstruction movement of Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, um, you find most of them have gone all the way to the other side, to the other extreme, which is to just throw everything out. Instead of dealing with the extremism on the right and the things that are wrong and the things that don't line up with Scripture, the things that are extra, things people have added, they just throw it all out and have adopted a lot of these uh, liberal positions that are very convenient if you want to live your life anyway and not be obedient to Scripture. They're very good at compassion, but when it comes to righteousness, when it comes to sexual morality, um, they don't really line up with Scripture very well. Uh, We can adapt the uncompromised truth to cultural norms. Um, You can't preach the gospel in the way it was preached 100 or 2,000 years ago and expect to reach people today so we need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves you know you have people today for example that are still doing tent revivals you know i mean yeah sure in 1950 i guess that really reached people but um you don't need to do a tent revival today that's that's simply um that's just a gimmick you know that's not something um, that's necessary in this day and age if you preach fire and brimstone people are probably not going to listen. If your goal is to reach people, then you have failed. Although hell and eternal punishment may not be popular in today's culture, it is a reality of Scripture, but you might not want to start there if you're trying to reach people. Uh, If you're trying to reach an atheist, you probably don't want to start with Noah and the Flood or the Seven Days of Creation or Jonah and the Whale. Maybe ask them if they believe in the existence of alien life, and then ask them what empirical evidence they have of this. Then ask them how they can accept something that has no evidence whatsoever, all right? And then you can start to explain to them that the seven literal days of creation doesn't mean the universe is only seven to 10,000 years old, that there are other theories other than um, uh, young earth creationism. Uh, You need to do what Jesus did. Get them to think differently. He came at people from a different angle. He sold the sizzle, so to speak, you know, so many Christians just bash people over the head with the Bible instead of really helping them to think. Jesus opened people's minds. Okay, uh, Sell the sizzle means, it's a marketing term, it means if you're going to sell somebody a steak, you don't just talk about the meat, you, you, you describe it being cooked. You describe the smell of that meat. You describe the, the sound of the sizzle and the deliciousness of the juices or whatever you need to use to entice them. Um, you know if you're talking to a vegetarian it's probably not the best illustration to use but if you're talking to somebody who likes that and you're trying to sell that to them you have to come at people from different angles to communicate your truth you know that's just a, a common uh, a common understanding of how to communicate and jesus was very good at that he used a lot of different methods to communicate the truth but we never deny the truth of scripture to reach people and i think that's uh, you have people on the far left now, that's what they do. They compromise and try to reach people by denying the truth of Scripture and just telling everybody that everything's okay, that you know I've seen people say that everybody's in, nobody's out, God loves everybody. You know they've eliminated um, the integrity of Scripture. You know They talk about um, they, they've eliminated hell, they've eliminated the need for salvation, they've eliminated original sin. And that stuff just doesn't line up with Scripture. He also talked about teaching and doing. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And what this implies is a consistency in speech and action. It's important that we as human beings, as children of God, are one. One in our thoughts, one in our belief, one in our words, one in our decisions, one in our actions. And all of us struggle with this. But this is really where we are weak sometimes because we are divided. You know, we know the truth. And when we're talking about it, we're with our friends and we're you know, we're we're with other Christian friends and we're talking to each other, and we feel very strong. But then other times in our life during the day, you may not be around other Christians. Uh, you may be tired, you may be worn out, and maybe you snap at somebody at the grocery store because they cut in line, or you're driving. And somebody cut you off or something, and, and you get mad and you say some things, or maybe you express your anger with uh, one of your fingers or whatever. You know, uh, we all struggle with these things. You know, uh, or you may understand what sexual purity is. You may be married and understand that adultery is wrong, but your mind uh, drifts away to some thoughts that maybe you shouldn't have. You know, and and we'll talk about that in more detail here in a minute. Um, but those are it's important. That we teach what we do, and there's not an inconsistency in our life. Okay, we need to be consistent. What we need to do what we say, we need to say what we do, and, and that's going to make us much more powerful, much stronger. And then, number six, he said, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. So he said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that must have caught everyone's attention and made the scribes and Pharisees really angry. Uh, The scribes and Pharisees, they did what they did for show. They didn't understand, or maybe they didn't want to understand, the intent of the law. They were legalistic and narrow in interpretation. They hurt people rather than help them. And that same spirit exists today in modern church leaders. Maybe in a different manner, but it's very similar. Now he goes on to another subject, so let's talk about that one, about anger and murder. This is found in Matthew 5, through 26 and Jesus said this. said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the counsel. And whoever says, You fool Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So what's he talking about here? So you find Jesus teaching people, not here, but just the entire Sermon in the Mount and many of his other teachings. You find Jesus teaching people the meaning behind the law, or what we call the intent of the law. All the people knew was the legalistic external meaning taught to them by the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is equating just anger with the same sin as murder. Anger is not murder, but it is the seed of murder. If it's left unattended, it will grow a root, and then a trunk, and then branches, and will eventually bear the fruit of murder. So he shows how anger can lead to insult, and then contempt, and contempt can eventually lead to murder. Uh, In other words, we are to remove all hate and anger and contempt from our lives. Again, this is more about us having, being powerful as Christians, having our our spirit and our minds all in control so you can do what you need to do for the kingdom of God and you can live a life that's free from these things. Because whether it be lust or anger or something else, all these things work against us. And what the scripture is trying to do is help us to learn how to manage these things and bring them into line. And what he's saying is, you know, we, if we just let our anger go unchecked, if we never deal with that, if we never uh, confront that and try to figure out where this is coming from, sometimes anger comes from deep down within us, especially if people have had a rough life and they've had people really pour a lot of negativity into them, that stuff gets repressed and gets shoved way underneath. And then when a certain event happens, that stuff suddenly comes to the surface, and it even surprises the person they're like this is not me this is not who i am this is not who i want to be but they'll burst out in anger or, or do something crazy you know or or maybe it's not even something crazy maybe it's just uh, just they come across a lot more anger angry than they are and then jesus went on to explain more of it he said so if you are offering your gift at the altar and then and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there before the altar and go First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. The offering of a gift at the altar was their religious act of worship at that time. Ours may be going to church, visiting a sick friend, playing in the worship band, taking communion, or something else. So what Jesus is saying is that relationship is more important than our religious acts. Our relationship with God and how we treat others is what makes us a Christian, not our religious acts or worship. Our religious acts mean nothing if we don't have a right relationship with the people around us. Jesus said, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Anger is something we need to deal with quickly. It's something that will grow If not dealt with quickly, one aspect of the Lord's Prayer is that we forgive our enemies. Uh, You know, I I do my very best to pray every day. Some days I spend more time than others. And I always use the Lord's Prayer as as a a framework, so to speak. You know, just reiterating the Lord's Prayer is not going to give you bonus points in heaven. That is given to us to give us some structure to our prayer life. And one part of the Lord's Prayer is that we forgive our enemies. It says, Uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. And, uh, you know, that seems pretty simple. It's like, okay, I forgive everybody, God, you know. Um, But sometimes you really have to search your heart, and you can be very angry and bitter towards someone, or sometimes you just kind of have an attitude toward people, and that, even that has to be dealt with. And, you know, don't look at this as like some legalistic thing like, I have to do this to make God happy. That's not at all what this is about. This is about you freeing yourself from the bitterness and the anger and the hate. That is something that is toxic to you. It is poisoning your soul, poisoning your mind, poisoning your life. And it's vital that we get that out of our system. It's vital that we cleanse that from our system. All right. So if we pray this prayer every day, and we search our hearts and ask if we're angry with someone or holding a grudge, it will help us a great deal. And sometimes we're mad about things that don't even exist. We've just allowed our minds to uh, just kind of get away from us. Sometimes we just need to ask God to show us, you know, what's really going on. Now let's. Now the next subject Jesus talked about was lust, adultery, and divorce It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So again, we have Jesus getting to the root of the problem. Adultery doesn't just happen. It starts in the mind, and then the heart, and eventually there is the act. Jesus is saying lusting in our minds with a woman is spiritually, spiritual adultery. Now, it can go the other way, too. Obviously, a woman lusting in heart with a man is also spiritual adultery. Um, this is a hard verse for some to comprehend. And to some, it may even seem impossible. It's like, you know, that's why I'm not a Christian. I can't do that. It's impossible for me to have that kind of control. And I want to tell you, it is a struggle, especially in today's uh, society. That can be a real struggle. Uh, some people have a very strong sex drive, a very strong libido. Other people, not so much. For them, it would probably be easier. Uh, but for those who do have a strong sex drive, it's it's a daily struggle. And uh, pornography is a real problem throughout the world. It doesn't help. But the truth is, you don't need pornography to have lust in your mind. You know, um, there is no app or external system that is going to save you from this. Um, and, and while we're talking about this, let's, let's talk about And I've heard this mentioned by people. And again, with a lot of these deconstruction sites that are on the progressive left, uh, address the question of masturbation and whether or not that's a sin. Uh, the progressive left will say no. People on the right will say yes. The truth is the Bible doesn't specifically address this. Um, but the question I would ask, and this is keeping with Scripture, How does someone do something like that without lusting in one's heart? If Jesus said that lusting in your heart is spiritual adultery, if you've already committed a a sex act with with someone in your mind, um, then how can you do something like that without having that lust in your heart or in your mind? Uh, And if you're single, that's one issue, and that needs to be addressed within your singleness— uh, if you're married and this is happening, then you probably need to get some therapy to find out what is underneath this. A healthy marriage includes a sexual component to it. Uh, sexual expression brings pleasure, and God designed us that way. But a world without God has twisted it and turned it into something else. And the other problem with this issue is the repressive nature the church has towards sexuality. and the and you know, the fact that we don't really, Help people in this area. Um, and and I think you do have to be very careful with this. Uh, I don't really think, se- I mean, sex therapy is a very real thing. That should be done by a competent a mental health professional, someone that actually understands that and something, especially if you're a person of faith, if you're a Christian, you need to find someone that is in is not going to violate your moral system there. But the world is too promiscuous and the church is too repressive and that leads to problems for married people in the church who don't understand a healthy expression of sexuality between husband and wife. And there's a disconnect there. And then that can help create a situation where people go, start doing things like getting into pornography or getting into masturbation or other things, even as a married couple. Now, if you're young and single and a Christian, you think, well, why? I wouldn't do that. If I'm married, I'm going to you know enjoy this all I can because I finally get to do something that's fun, right? But it does happen. It happens more often than you think. And it's something that needs to be addressed in a, in a competent, uh, with, with a competent mental health professional that has integrity. Uh, then he goes on uh, to, to this part in the middle that's kind of sandwiched between lust and divorce. Um, he says this, he says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, than that your whole body go into hell. You know, Jesus used hyperbole. Hyperbole is an exaggerated statement or claim not meant to be taken literally. And Jesus often used this literary device as a teaching tool to get a point across. And the context here is important. One aspect of context is the portion of Scripture just before and just after a verse that may help determine its meaning. Just before this verse, Jesus is addressing adultery and lust. Just after this verse, he talks about divorce and sexual immorality. And what I would ask you to consider is that this is one consistent flow of thought. All right? The part about cutting off hands and plucking out eyes is simply hyperbole, giving an example that we need, may need to take drastic steps to keep ourselves from lust, sexual immorality, and divorce. Um, there are those of us who may use external means to keep themselves from lust or possible infidelity. Uh, one is what's called the Billy Graham Rule, is that a married man should avoid being alone uh, with a woman, not his wife. Or some people will avoid going to the beach, a pool, or even wear swimwear. If that's what you need to do, then that's what you need to do. The better way is to be secure enough within your own mind and heart that you can recognize the beauty of a person, but not lust after them. And this is simply my opinion. This is the way we live our lives. And that is that you should be able to go to a beach with your family. And if a person crosses your eyesight... You recognize their beauty and then move on to the next thought without undressing them in your mind or fantasizing about them. That should be where you're at, where lust no longer has control over your mind. And it takes time to get to that place. And it's something that you have to constantly, consistently uh, bring into, you know, bring into control again there are some people this is easy to do some people it's very difficult to do now if you can't do this then maybe you need to take drastic measures like Jesus was saying to keep yourself from lust or adultery um, you know I, I don't get the the app thing you know there's apps out there that people sell you you know at some point you can turn the app off and still do your thing so but if that helps you I've also talked to people they say that helps them if that helps keep them from pornography, keeps them from that, especially when you're young, you're single, you don't, and you're a Christian, you're doing your best to try to, uh, to follow what Scripture says about sexuality, uh, it can be really difficult, especially in today's day and age. And if you need that, you need that. Do whatever it takes. Then Jesus uh, went on to talk about divorce. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Uh, As someone who has gone through a divorce in the church, I'm well aware of these scriptures, and I have walked through this and seen this, and I have a pretty good understanding of what this means, not only from theology, but also from uh, experiencing it. Um, In this day, uh, in the day of when Jesus was alive, uh, people were divorcing their wives simply because they didn't want to be married anymore. This was never the intention of the certificate of divorce. Uh, The only appropriate cause, according to what Jesus is saying here, the only appropriate cause is sexual immorality. Some say this only means actual adultery, while others claim it can mean other uh, sex acts or situations. Um, this is the only cause to initiate a divorce. Paul also mentions desertion justifying uh, remarriage. In that case, the other person has already abandoned the marriage, and divorce would simply be a, uh, would simply certify the abandonment. Um, but for you to actually divorce, the only cause you have to actually initiate a divorce is adultery. Um, I know uh, from What study of the law I've had, um, actually in most states, probably not maybe California New York, but a lot of states, um, adultery is only sexual intercourse um, legally, but certainly there are other situations and things. That's for the specifics of that, of what, um, what makes that adultery is for theologians to decide and it's for the individual to decide. And you've got to search your heart, you've got to search the scriptures and figure that out. Certainly sexual intercourse, at the very least, is definitely adultery by everybody's standard. Um, You know, sexuality is very powerful and our culture is permeated with it. And Jesus is saying we need to do whatever it takes to keep us from sexual sin. Uh, So the best way to do that is what Jesus is teaching us here with all these issues. Is to get to the root of the problem and deal with that in our thought life. And you deal with that uh, sometimes one thought at a time, one day at a time. And you may stumble, you may fail, and if that happens, you repent, you ask God to forgive you, you move on, you start again. And if you have to repent ten thousand times in a day, then uh, you you are. If you sin ten thousand times in a day, then you need to repent ten thousand and one. Whatever it takes, you just keep at it because you don't lose when you sin. You lose when you quit. You lose when you give up. And eventually, if you're really trying this and you continue to pray and you continue to work at it, eventually you will get the victory. It may be step by step. It may take time, but you will get the victory. But you really, the best place to get to is that place where you have this in control in your mind and you're no longer, you understand that that lust is not going to fulfill you. That sex act is not going to fulfill you. That adultery that nobody else sees, but you and the person you're you're cheating on your spouse with, that's not going to fulfill you. You're not going to be happy. And when you get to that place where you understand that, that is when you will be free. So I hope you enjoyed this today. I hope it was a blessing to you. I hope it encouraged you and helps you understand the scriptures a little bit better. Thanks for listening. God bless you.